I invite you to remain standing as today we read from the ninth chapter of the Gospel of John, selected verses. Let us hear these holy words. As Jesus walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. Then he went and washed and came back able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, It is he. Others were saying, No, but it is someone like him. He kept saying, I am he. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind, and they said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. He answered, I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know is though I was blind, now I see. Jesus heard that they had driven the blind man out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir? He answered, That you may believe in him, I am him. You have seen him. The one speaking with you is he. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We again say a word of greeting this morning to all of you. We're thankful for your presence, those in the sanctuary, as well as those watching on television and online. We say a word to those who are in Pine Grove and Almira and Romance, Arkansas, for their willingness to be a part of our service of worship. I want to just give you a couple of announcements very quickly. The first is that our habitat build will soon take place after Easter. We don't know the exact date yet. We're dependent on Habitat to provide that for us. And quite frankly, they have said that that is a little flexible right now because there's been so much rain this spring or this winter and spring that in some ways they're behind. So we're not exactly sure, but we do have everything in place for our habitat build. And when the time comes, we will certainly give you all that information. The other thing I want you to prayerfully consider being a part of is our spiritual life retreat on April the 28th and 29th. It is a Friday evening and a Saturday morning with Dr. Jerry Weber and Reverend Victor Resendez. Now, both of these men are deep spiritual figures in the church. They both do spiritual formation for a living. And they have worked in the local church for a long, long time. Jerry Weber now does this full-time. Both of them I have had in other churches come. In fact, Victor Resendez was on my staff at my church in Houston. They are extraordinarily gifted. You're going to be a, want, be a part of this. I can tell you you're going to have FOMA, fear of missing out, if you're not a part of that. You've got to register to be a part of it, so I hope you'll take advantage of that opportunity. You can see more information about it on the back of your order of worship. Let's pray. O Lord, in the silence of this moment, prepare our hearts and our minds to hear your word for us this day and work your will in our lives. Amen.
My wife, Susan, was an educator for many years, and in part of that time, she was an elementary school librarian. I used to try to take her lunch at the library on Fridays, which was my day off. It afforded me a chance to have something to do, quite frankly, on my day off and spend a little time with my wife over lunch. In one of the schools in which she worked, I would go in on Fridays bringing some form of lunch to her and always pass by a little boy who was being tutored in the library. This little boy was blind, but he was also losing his hearing. He would soon find himself in a world of darkness without sound. And so the tutors were trying to teach him how to be able to communicate and how to live life, not being able to see or being able to hear. And every time I passed by and every time I would listen to that tutor with love, talk to him and teach him, my heart was just filled with such pain for that little boy. But on his face, he was happy. He was excited. He was learning. So let me ask you a question. What did that little boy do to deserve that? And if he didn't do anything, then what did his mom and dad do to cause that? Sometimes when there is not a logical answer to something we experience, we try to come up with a reason, and sometimes in the process, we say stupid stuff. When a child dies and someone says, God just wanted another angel in heaven, that is offensive. When someone dies from a random act of violence and we say, well, I guess their time was up, that is offensive. I remember when I was in seminary, there was a spring break time away. When we gathered back together, having not seen each other for a week, one of my classmates said he had gone to the beach and had a great time, and on his way back from the beach, he passed by a terrible wreck with several fatalities. And then he said, you know, that was God's way of reminding me I needed to pray. Really? That wreck occurred because God simply wanted you to pray more? Sometimes we just say stuff that really, quite frankly, makes God look nasty. A long time ago, there was a man who was born blind. He lived in darkness. He was a beggar. In that culture, in that day and time, most people who had some kind of major affliction were shown very little sympathy because people believed. They brought it on themselves. And that if they didn't cause it themselves, like being born blind, then evidently the parents must have done something that was sinful. So God caused this child to go without vision, who is now a man. But Jesus stops and does something extraordinary. He spits. He makes mud with his spittle and dirt. 
and he rubs it on the eyes of the blind man, and he tells him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And when he washes the mud out of his eyes, he can see. He has sight for the first time in life. He can see. How extraordinary that must have been. How overwhelming. What sense of emotion must he have experienced in that moment? And interestingly enough, from the moment he is able to see, ironically, he is ridiculed. Is that really the man who was blind? No, it looks like him, but that couldn't be him. See, people were so used to stigmatizing him as one who was afflicted with some kind of condition, they could not see him for who he was now. They were the ones who were truly blinded. Was this all a sleight of hand? Could he see all along? Is this a joke? I remember when I was a teenager watching television one night, flipping through the channels. There were much fewer channels back then than there are now. And late at night, there was a faith healer, and he was having his service of worship, and he was up on stage, and he was cutting loose. And people were coming up, and he was healing one person after another. Extraordinary talent. I mean, hit him in the head, and all of a sudden, their cancer is gone. Hit him in the head, and all of a sudden, they're not crippled anymore. And a man came up who was blind, came up on the stage and they asked him, put a microphone in front of him, tell us about your condition. I was born blind. What's your name? My name is Timmy. How old are you, Timmy? I'm 21. Timmy, you've never seen a day in your life. No, I've never seen anything in my life. He gets bopped in the head. And as soon as he's bopped in the head, guess what? He can see. And then to prove that he can see, you know what they do? Timmy, what color tie do I have on? That's a blue tie. Timmy, what color are his shoes? Those are brown shoes. And then the moment I thought to myself, well, wait a minute. If Timmy has never seen a day in his life, how does he know what color blue is and what color brown is? I figured that out. The audience didn't. You know what the faith healer did? Immediately, he took up an offering. I guarantee on the way home, people were like, what that... Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Is that what happened with Jesus? Was this someone who really could see all along? Or was he born blind and he deserved it? Or is it an example that Jesus says when the disciples ask him, Jesus, this man has been born blind. Is it something he did or is it something his parents did? Because that's what they believed. And Jesus said, neither. But God's going to do something great with this. And what happens is this blind man becomes a recipient of mercy and grace. To such a degree that he is healed, he is made well. His life is forever changed having come into the presence of Jesus Christ, who is the one person on planet earth who has the capacity to cause the blind to see. See, sometimes we're not real good about allowing grace to be extended to other people or for people to be recipients of grace. Sometimes we're critical of that. A wife's husband has been unfaithful. She forgives him. She extends grace and mercy to him, and she welcomes him back home. And people say, what's wrong with her? 
Why is she doing that? She ought to punish him. She ought to leave him. Who does she think she is? Why would she do that? And to the man who is the recipient of her grace and mercy and forgiveness, people say, you created this situation. Live with it. You got to wallow in all that you have created. We're not very good sometimes about extending or benefiting from grace, particularly if it happens to others. That's the case with this blind man. He is ridiculed from the very beginning. People start asking him, who is this guy that healed you? I don't know. I don't know his name. He just healed me. What do you mean you don't know his name? Were you really blind? Go back and read all 41 verses. If I read all 41 verses, that would have been the sermon. But go back and read the 41 verses. The one who is the recipient of grace that is extended to him by Jesus is ridiculed. And the one who extends the grace and the mercy, Jesus, is ridiculed. Early in my ministry, when I was an associate pastor in a church, it was a man who came up one Sunday to join the congregation. I'd never seen him before. I didn't know his name. He came down. We gave him the vows of the church. He joined. He was very, very emotional. A lot of tears. He said, as we were walking out for people to greet him, can I make an appointment with you and visit with you tomorrow? I said, sure. So I'd love to visit with you. He came by the next day and he said, I want to tell you my story. He said, my wife and I lived a very promiscuous life. We have dabbled in all kinds of illicit behavior and drugs and alcohol. I couldn't do it anymore. A friend invited me to some worship experience. I went and I experienced in that moment the grace and the forgiveness and the mercy of Jesus Christ. And I gave my life to Jesus Christ. That was several months ago. I started coming to this church. But I need to tell you, as a result of giving my life to Jesus Christ and accepting the grace he's given me, my wife has left me. I have no more friends. I'm having to start all over again. And I've also discovered, he said, that some people who knew my previous lifestyle are unwilling to accept the fact that maybe I've changed. He said, I don't know what to do with this grace. If I accept it, I'm ridiculed. If I deny it, I'm ridiculed. I just want Jesus to love me. See, sometimes Jesus himself found himself in a position where he did good for others, and the first thing that happens is he's criticized, he's ridiculed, he's put down, he's belittled. See, here's a blind man who is approached by the Pharisees on several occasions. Tell us about what happened. I don't know, really. I don't know his name. He just came. He saw that I was blind. He put mud on my eyes, and now I can see. And notice that. That's where the great hymn, Amazing Grace, gets its verse, I was blind, but now I see, from this blind man who says, I don't know who did it. All I know was that I was blind, and now I see. And toward the end of all of these verses, Jesus encounters him. And he says to Jesus, tell me who you are. And Jesus said, I am the Lord. And he says, that is the blind man, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Sometimes in the process of doing good for others, of extending grace and mercy and forgiveness 
when others think it's not appropriate or they don't deserve it or they're not entitled to it, you can face real criticism. Remember, grace is never something we deserve or we're entitled to. It is something that is given to us freely. And in this case, it's given freely by Jesus to a man who was born blind who had to beg in order to survive. We see other occasions in Scripture where Jesus does something for someone, and in the process of doing so, he is roundly criticized. He became one who was used to trying to do the right thing and knowing he was going to take a whipping as a result. And finally, in the end, he did. There's a woman who stooped over for 18 years. For 18 years, she has been bent over. She's had to look at the ground. She comes into the presence of Jesus on a Sabbath day, and Jesus immediately tells her to stand up straight. She does. And the first thing that happens is that the synagogue leaders do not celebrate this woman's new life, but instead conspire, says Scripture, against Jesus. What happened to celebrating somebody who experienced new life in the presence of Christ? It's lost. There's a man with a withered hand. It is the Sabbath day. And Jesus has this man stand up in front of everybody. His hand is shriveled up. He is unable to work. He has a deformity. He has a condition. As a result, he would have had a stigma attached to him. And Jesus tells him, open up your hand, and this deformed hand opens up. It is strengthened, and it is whole again. And Jesus does it on the Sabbath day in front of people. And the scripture says that the Pharisees and the Herodians conspired from then on to kill him. That's extraordinary to think about. Sometimes Jesus did things in the moment that needed to be done without regard for what the law says or without regard for what tradition has said up to that point. Because it was the right thing to do. I've told this before, but when I was in seminary taking classes on the book of discipline, the rule book of the United Methodist Church, I had a professor who would always say, look, I know that's what the discipline says, but remember this, it's always people before discipline. If it comes down to whether or not someone is hurt by this or someone is rejected by this, you take the person over the law, the book. That's what Jesus did, and he was criticized roundly for it. See, interestingly enough and ironically, the one who can really see in all of this who Jesus is, is the blind man. He not only has sight given to him for the first time, but he clearly sees who Jesus is when those who have sight all along have no earthly idea who he is. See, the truth is that if we want to criticize Jesus, if we want to belittle him, if we want to dismiss him as a joke or a hoax or a fraud, we can. People do it all the time. But we are the kind of people who, like the blind man, say, now I see. Now I know who you are. Now my life is forever changed because you have extended to me love and mercy and grace and forgiveness, Jesus. And as the blind man said, we say to Jesus, Lord, now I believe. In a world where there are a lot of Pharisees out there who are critical, 
in a world where there are a lot of people who dismiss what it is we do on Sunday morning as nothing, as a waste of time at best. But I firmly believe that like the blind man, if we have those spiritual eyes that Jesus says we must have, because remember he said, you have to have eyes to see and ears to hear. If we, like the blind man, see Jesus for who he is and how he interacts with us, then we are much more keenly aware of the suffering around us that we can do something about. If we are like the Pharisees and we just dismiss anybody who's a recipient of grace, we miss the chance to do good for another. This blind man's life is forever changed because he came into the presence of Jesus. And Jesus faces criticism. And the blind man faces criticism. Because there are those people who said, you didn't do it the right way. You didn't do it the way we always do it. You didn't do it the way the rules state that you do it. And Jesus says, the most important thing is the human being and the grace I have to extend to someone else that's what I do because that's who I am. So often people don't know who Jesus is in Scripture. They can't really figure it out. Even the disciples, almost without exception, the disciples do not know who Jesus is fully when he is in their presence. It is only after he is crucified and resurrected do they get it. Jesus' own family says something is wrong with him emotionally. Y'all go get him and take care of him. His hometown rejects him. The religious establishment rejects him. Why do all of these people have confusion about who Jesus is and reject him? Because, ironically, he puts people first. He says to those who are blind to him, this is what I will do for you, and they say, now I see. And as soon as they say, now I see, there are those ready to pounce. But then there are those in Scripture who seem to be the marginalized and the outcast and the alienated and the ostracized who always seem to know just who Jesus is. There is a demoniac. There is a woman with a flow of blood. There is a blind man on another occasion by the name of Bartimaeus who all make their way to Jesus as quickly as they can, or in Bartimaeus' situation, cry out to Jesus as loudly as he can, because they know that if they are recipients of what it is Jesus has to offer them, they are going to be made whole, they are going to be right. And the criticism is going to come anyway. So I think it's important for us to remember, as followers of Jesus Christ, sometimes living out this faith stuff is not easy. Because there are going to be occasions in your own life when you have a chance to extend grace to somebody who, quite frankly, is not deserving of it. You're going to have an opportunity to offer forgiveness to somebody who may not even be remorseful. You're going to have a chance to extend mercy to somebody who has put themselves in the situation in which they find themselves. They brought it on themselves. And as soon as you do that, their life will be changed, but someone's going to say to you, what was that all about? Leave them alone. They made their bed, lie in it. 
That's a challenge about being a follower of Jesus Christ. Like the blind man, the moment we can see Jesus for who he is, is the very moment in which others will be ready to criticize or to complain that we're being too grace-filled, too forgiving, too merciful. But that's okay. The world needs more grace and mercy and forgiveness. And it's on us to make that happen. Fanny Crosby, the famous hymn writer, was blind when she was about a week old. She had some kind of condition. They put some kind of homemade medical treatment on her eyes and it caused her to be blind her whole life. She lived into her 90s. Fanny Crosby wrote, wrote more than 8,000 hymns. Many of them are in our hymnal, like Blessed Assurance, To God Be the Glory, Rescue the Perishing. They asked Fanny Crosby one time, don't you regret not being able to see, being blind your whole life? She said no, because the first face that I will ever see in heaven is the face of my Savior. See, if we are who we're called to be, then we see the face of Jesus in a variety of ways. So we can say to the world, I don't always get it right, but I've been a recipient of his grace and mercy and forgiveness. And now I see, and if I can see, then we like the blind man say, Lord, I believe. And then like the blind man, we go and worship him. That's who we are. That's what we're all about. Hallelujah. Amen.